Welcome to the Apex Vaulting Podcast. I'm uh, going to try out a couple new things today. Um, that's going to be our lead-in music now to let you know that it's a great Apex episode coming your way. Um, the other thing I'm going to try today, I'm going to do a solo episode. Um, it's been a super busy summer, and I apologize for not getting more episodes out there for you guys. Um, so many meets, and it seems like everybody else also has a hectic schedule in the summer, so it, it's been tough uh, kind of getting guests, but I wanted to give you guys an episode. and uh, There's a bunch of things that I want to talk about that have been on my mind and things that I've been talking about with a lot of different coaches, a lot of different athletes from all over. Um, this summer, you know, obviously we had our Povolt Club Championships. Um, we had, we went to the Jersey Beach Vault, the Rochester Beach Vault, we went to the Flying Circus meet. Um, Nick Homan came all the way from Missouri again this year. So grateful that he did that. That was awesome that he came down. We had a good practice session. He looked great. And then, uh, he actually, when he went back home, he ended up having a great meet, jumped 17, four and a half, um, which was awesome. Uh, but, you know, just talking to all these different people at all these different events and, and a lot of thoughts going through my head. Um, you know, when you think about pole vault, there's a lot of things that you could talk about. And I guess I want to lead in with talking about some coaching stuff. I mean, I am a coach, right? So let's, let's talk a little bit about coaching. Um, I've written a blog article. You can check it out on my website. It's just apexvaulting.com. Um, I talked about the three hats, the three roles that a pole vaulting coach has to have, right? You, you have to be a skill coach. Right? You have to be like a mixed martial arts coach. You are coaching the skill of pole vaulting. So you have to teach athletes how to attain these skills, you know? And what are the skills? What are the disciplines? Well, let's just look at it sequentially. You have your pole carry, you have your run, you have your plant, and then you have takeoff and off the ground. Off the ground, you can slice it up into takeoff, swing, turn, right? Obviously, you can do a lot more, but that's kind of where we're at, right? It's pole carry, run, plant, take off, and then off the ground is take off, swing, turn. You have to teach all those skills. You have to use drills. You have to use progressions um, and regressions to teach or unteach certain things, right? So you're a skill coach, right? Then you have to have some knowledge of strength and conditioning as a pole vault coach, this is an athletic endeavor, right? We are using our bodies uh, to hurl ourselves over a crossbar, right? So you have to have a little bit of knowledge in strength and conditioning. And then, of course, we're like a NASCAR crew chief. You have to play the adjustment game at meets, you know, make sure the grip is right. Make sure the pole stiffness is right. Make sure the standards are on. And, of course, make sure the step is right. Whether you're catching mids or takeoff, I, I, I think at some point you should be catching either both at the same time um, to keep track of things. But the thing that comes to mind of the three hats, right? So we talk about skill, strength and conditioning, and adjustments. Those are th three things that a pole vault coach is doing. Teaching skill, strength and conditioning, and adjustments. I think the mo most overused role or overused hat, and we, we go to that, that spot way too often, is adjustments, guys. I think a lot of times we watch video of even pros or we watch video from each other's athletes and we say, oh man, if he was just back a half. Oh man, if you were just up a pole. 
oh man, if you were just up a grip, down a grip, if you just move the standards, we want to all, you know, play the adjustment game. That's just one third of our job. One third of our job. And, and I, I was talking to a, a fellow coach of mine, Andrew Flores. He's been on the podcast. I've been trying to get him in on a podcast. We've been having some great conversations. Just schedules are busy. And one of the things that we kind of thought of, right? Just like a doctor sometimes prescribes painkillers for knee pain, that painkiller doesn't solve your knee issue. It doesn't make your knee healthier. It just masks the pain. You still have that problem. Well, adjustments are the pain pill that masks the problems in your jump. They didn't fix your flat takeoff. They didn't fix your pull carry. The adjustments didn't make your swing faster necessarily. Progressions and coaching philosophy are what treat the problems, heal it, and fix it. You have to have an overarching philosophy, and you have to have the progressions, the practical drills that you need to do on a day-to-day basis that will actually fix an athlete's jump. If someone sends me a video and say, Bronco, what do I do for my kid? I am not going to text back and say, hey, back a half, up a grip. Wrong answer. If someone's sending me one video, I have to look at that jump and say, okay, and maybe I have to ask for a couple jumps, but I have to say, okay, this is a representation of what this athlete is doing now. What is the overarching philosophical issue in this athlete's jump? Is it the takeoff? Is it the swing? Is it the turn? Maybe their pull carry's messed up. And then I have to make that coach or athlete aware of that issue Provide them with the drills, the practical day-to-day, hey, you could do these progressions and make sure you're thinking about this when you're jumping. I mean, the big theme, I guess, at Apex this summer has been coaching sequentially and jumping sequentially. What What do I mean by that? So when I coach and I'm watching someone jump, even if someone has a flat takeoff or their their swing is slow or poor, I'm looking at the jump and I'm looking at it in a sequence. Pull carry, run, plant, takeoff, off the ground. If that person's pull carry is wrong, if they're not holding the pole properly, it's not balanced properly as they're running down the runway, I can't address the flat takeoff. I got to fix the pull carry first. I can't talk to them about the way they're turning if they don't even hold the pull right. So if you start from a philosophical standpoint as a coach, say, what is my philosophy? If you start to go, hey, you know what? I'm going to start coaching sequentially. I'm going to address my vaulter's needs sequentially. And look, you might have a kid, pull carry's great. Run looks good. It's very front side, nice big strides, okay? Cool. Maybe then you can start talking about jumping up, taking off, right? On that particular jump. Maybe then you give them a drill progression that focuses on the takeoff. But you have to coach sequentially. And then here's the other thing. 
You have to, because again, I started off this talk. What's everybody doing? They're playing the adjustment game. They just want to say up a grip back a half or go up a pole or move the standards and that's going to fix the problem. No, we are teaching skill. And you know what's really important for skill? Athletes need to be conscious of what they're doing. Right? There's a difference between conscious and unconscious. There's a lot of pole vaulters that you'll see. They just jump. They couldn't even tell you what happened. They don't even know if the pole speed is enough to get them into the pit. I mean, I'm sure we've all been there. We've seen a kid go full jump, not get to vertical, and have a really sketchy jump. That's bad. That kid is unconscious, unaware of where they are in the air. We as coaches have to teach awareness. That's part of the skill progression. They have to know what they are doing. So I want my athletes to think sequentially. Now, obviously, if you're pole vaulting, you're an athlete, you can't literally think in your hand, uh, think in your head, okay, uh, you know, hold the pole, keep the tip up, hands in the right position, I gotta run front side, now I'm going to plant the pole. That takes too much time. They have to think and feel sequentially. They have to have certain thoughts or feelings or sounds in their head for each sequence. And this could be personalized. They have to develop that in their head. But if you tell a kid, like, let's say, you know, th this will eventually happen. You like where the takeoff's at in practice. You think the swing looks great, but the athletes are not active through the turn. And they're falling down on the crossbar or the bungee, whatever you do at practice. So you might give them some cue for the turn. Well, now your kid comes down. All they're thinking is turn. They miss the plant. They miss the takeoff. Boom. They get wrecked. Can't fix turn that. That's why for athletes, it's important that they can think sequentially. That every time they come down the runway, it's kind of like a checklist going off in their head. Okay, get the tip down. Jump up. Swing. Okay, now coach said turn. Focus on the turn. Okay, now you do that. They have to have feelings and sounds to associate with each part of the sequence. That can happen fast enough in their head. Because the more aware your athletes are, the more conscious they are, the more they can control their jump and the better and easier it will to improve their jump. This is so important. I mean, I, I you know, I, I think back, um, I had a kid that was gripping 12-10 that would jump 14-6 with that grip. Really efficient. I thought his jump looked phenomenal. Obviously, it wasn't perfect. You know, he had his mistakes. He, he tended to be a little bit flat at takeoff. But really, really pretty jump. Um, and I remember he had graduated high school and he came in for a summer practice and I'll never forget this. He comes in and goes, Bronco, um, I, I gotta tell you a secret. I'm like, what's up, man? What's your secret? He goes, uh, I don't know how to pole vault. I gave the kid a look. I'm like, what? What do you mean? You don't know how to pole vault. Like, dude, you're one of my best guys this year. Like, you know how to pole vault. Your jump looks amazing. He's like, no, you would just give me adjustments and I would just go. But I don't really know what I'm doing. And that to me as a coach, I, you know, I felt terrible because what happened with that athlete is like, I didn't really teach that athlete how to pull vault. I just put them in the right position. You know, I put him in the right position where he could be successful, but he didn't even know what was happening. 
which long-term, this is not good for athletes, right? One, they're going to have a sketchy jump. Everybody's going to have a sketchy jump at some point in their career. You know, so you're going to land shallow at some point. But if you are aware, you will be able to make an adjustment mid-jump to make sure that you land safely. Or you'll know not to swing if you don't have enough pull speed. So that, that was something that literally that day I was like, I need to make a change in the way that I'm coaching. I need to make my athletes more aware of pull speed. I need to make my athletes more aware of swing speed. And that's where I really, really came to realize that you're only going to go so far as a coach if all you do is play the adjustment game, guys. You can't just play the adjustment game. It's, it's not enough. It's not enough. Now, look, I think one of the issues and the reason we get caught up playing the adjustment game, because I've been there, a lot of us only end up coaching a kid for, what, two to four years? Well, the first year is just getting them off the ground, teaching them how to pole vault, very basic stuff, very basic. Second year, okay, start clearing some bars, they become decent. Let's say they, they started jumping with you as a sophomore. That senior year, you PR a little bit more and they're, they're out the door. You don't, you don't need to think about long-term progression. You know, that kid can end up graduating, having a decent PR and going on to college before actually learning and developing awareness in their jump. And a lot of times they're going off to colleges like, look, talk to a lot of club coaches out there. Not every college has a pole vault coach, guys. They don't. Hey, and, and listen, there's good reason. There's good reason. I can go off into the rabbit hole of you know, the NCAA rules, and you can only have three full-time coaches, and why, as a head track coach, it does not <laughs> benefit you to hire a full-time pole vault coach who all they do is coach pole vaulting. Because there's a lot of us out there that we only coach pole vaulting, which, by the way, I think is awesome. Um, one of the problems in track is that I think a lot of coaches end up being a jack of all trades, master of none, you know? Um, so a lot of your kids are going to go on to, to colleges where they don't have good coaching. Now they're really stuck, you know? Um, so, you know, th that's kind of the issue. I think we have to start thinking long-term and we can't just bank on our athletes getting better through adjustments. We have to start thinking about coaching skill, teaching skill acquisition, you know, start to think more about your coaching philosophy. You know, um, one of the things that, you know, I, I was actually having a, a conversation with a coach today, you know, about coaching philosophy. And, you know, I've posted about this in the past. Um, I'll continue to post about it till I'm blue in the face. Um, I know people love positions and if you think about, you know, I, I just talked about the evolution of coaching an athlete and why sometimes we don't get to the awareness or consciousness of jumping, you know, as a coach, the first thing you see that's blatantly obvious in the event, you know, you, you start to watch Olympic vaulters and, and, and you, you just see these glaring positions, big drive knee, big bottom arm, long, you know, left leg straight left leg, pike over the crossbar, you know, you start to see these positions. And, and as coaches, we try to ingrain these positions into our athletes. 
And here's the funny thing. Athletes listen. They're going to hit those positions. The problem is you're going to start developing a segmented jump. You're going to have athletes that literally hit the position, stop, and then try to keep going. And the thing is, the pole vault is a movement. It's a movement. There's constant movement. From that first step to the moment you land on the mats, there's constant movement in our event. And so what I was telling this one coach is sometimes you have to understand some of these desirable positions, they start to happen as you develop an athlete. As an athlete starts to jump up better, that drive knee happens. It's part of jumping up. It's a part. It's not all of it. That bottom arm. I mean, look, if you have a 100-pound girl that's gripping 9-9 starting out, I mean, how big is that bottom arm going to be? Do you need to focus on that? You know? That's just a part of the vault. You know? I mean, heck, I feel like when you get some beginners who maybe aren't strong enough or fast enough in the beginning, you might not even get to the turn. You can just get them to take off and do a swing to a sit position, you know, they're going to sit over bars in the beginning. They might clear six, seven, maybe even eight feet like that until they develop enough athleticism and strength in their upper body to be able to complete the turn in not just a cosmetic way, but a way that helps them push off their grip. Um, so, you know, if, if you start to focus more on movement instead of positions, you could really train your eyes to see flaws that are more important, right? So if you're watching the pole speed and you're watching the swing speed, and specifically if you watch someone's center of mass, their hips, and you watch their pole speed and you watch their hips, you know, is the pole moving? Are their hips rising throughout the entire jump? You know, does it match up? Now you could start to see things a little bit clearer. Because, I, I, you know, again, I was talking to this coach today about this, this philosophy, you know. And I remember early in my career, I was very traditional Petrov Bubka coach. You know, get the hands up, big takeoff, big reverse C, you know, really try to hit takeoff. And um, I had this one high school athlete. He, as a junior, he gripped 13, jumped 14 on a 14-170. Awesome. And we really worked takeoff that whole summer. I felt like his takeoff needed to get better. And, and he trained hard, too. He was lifting. And we get to December. That was spring of his junior year. We get to December of his senior year. And he's gripping 13.9 on a 14.7170. And he jumped 12.6. Wow. I mean, I, I was shocked. I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, what, what is wrong here? He would end up jumping 14.4, I think, with 13.6 grip. So a grip down, you know, we figured something out towards the end of the season, but there was still this gap. And then I had another athlete, uh, Craig Van Leeuwen, who's been on this podcast. Um, he jumped 17.5 for the first time, I believe gripping 16 on a 16.5195. And, you know, Craig and I were just like, dude, if we get on the 200, that's it. You're going, you're going 18, man. You're going to jump 18. And, you know, again, he busted his butt, worked hard, you know, working all these 
different things. And we get to Reno the next year, a year later, and he gets on that 200. He jumped 16.9, went backwards, you know. And so, you know, I'm, I'm talking to this coach on the phone today, and it's just like when I used to just look at positions, I'd eventually find these these gaps. You know, it's like we're making our supposed progress, but it's not showing up in the PRs. And as soon as the, the philosophy changed and we went to movement, you know, watching the pole speed, watching the swing speed, is this matching up? That's when now the system became more streamlined. Because now instead of like no one position held up the jump. Because sometimes, I, I, I don't know if, you know, I, some of this resonates with some of you, if you've maybe experienced something like this. But you might be like, oh, man, we really need that driving here. We really need that bottom arm. And you're just, you're focusing so much on that one position. And then you're just like, you're slowing down the jump. The swing is slow. Maybe the pole speed slows down. Maybe you find that at takeoff, you get some pole speed. But as soon as your athlete goes to the swing, pole speed dies. Well, if you start to think about movement, now you can streamline the process. No one position will slow down the jump. And just to show you what happened, that one athlete that jumped, you know, 14 as a junior jumped, then somehow we figured something out. We at least got a four inch PR, 14.4. Once I went to that, that philosophy of pole speed, he ended up jumping 15.3 with 13.9 or 14 foot grip. So he went from 14.4 to 15.3 once we made that adjustment of philosophy and started coaching pull speed. Then Craig, he went from that 17.5, 16.9 on the 200, right? So 16.5, 200, 16 foot grip. Well, now he jumped 17.8, gripping 15.9 on a 16.200. That's the equivalent of a 16.5, 190. And he almost made 18 that day. So you can see the improvement. You know, obviously also, I just, I just want to let you guys know, there is no philosophy out there that is going to get you to just like jump out of the atmosphere. All right. Obviously there's also the physical element of uh, out there. You could end up having someone get to a smooth jump. It looks very smooth. It's very refined and you know, they just need to get stronger and faster. You get to that point. Right? It's always that, that balance. Do we have a technical issue or do we need this athlete to get more physical? Are they too weak, too slow? Right? And that's why you gotta dip, dip into that strength and conditioning world and take something from there. You know, how do you get athletes faster? How do you get athletes stronger? What exercises will complement the different facets of the vault? Right? Um, and again, side note, I mean, I've talked about this. I think a lot of times, uh, pole vaulters, um, I don't know if there's some fear of going into the weight room. Everybody's worried about getting big and bulky. Um, again, weights don't make you big and bulky. Your diet does, right? But a lot of the exercises people love, a lot of the high bar exercises, a lot of the ring exercises, a lot of the, you know, the pegboards, the, the, um, Oh my goodness, what is that Ninja Warrior thing called? The um, 
I, I can't remember now, but you know, like all these kind of like kind of body weight gymnastic type things, you need prerequisite strength in order to do them. Like if someone asks me, Hey Bronco, how do I do a muscle up? First thing I ask, can you do a body weight pull up? If the answer is yes, awesome. Can you do 25% of your body weight on the pull up? So let's say somebody weighed a hundred pounds. Can you do a pull up with 25 pounds around your waist? You know, if not, probably not doing a muscle up, probably need to do a quarter of your body weight added to a weighted pull up before you can do a muscle up, right? So now think about some of the gymnastic things that you want people to do on a high bar. If they can't do pull ups, right? Or the gymnastics things you want to do on the rings, if they can't do pull ups. They're going to have a hard time doing that. So maybe you should do some pull ups, you know? So you know, again, this is philosophical stuff, guys. Your coaching philosophy is the backbone of your system. What is your philosophy? Are you going to coach position? Or are you going to coach movement? Are you only going to play the adjustment game? Because that will get you only so far. You cannot just play the adjustment game. You cannot play just the adjustment game. You know? Um, I, I think that's, that's really, really important. Another thing that I wanted to touch on, um, you know, as far as coaching and coaching philosophy, don't get married to numbers, guys. Some of us get married to numbers. Let's just use mid-marks as an example. I've heard stories of people being like, oh, well, this person's got to hit a 48 mid. Has to. Your mid-mark is fluid, guys. Your mid-mark is fluid. If you're sharp, you're feeling good, you might hit further out than 48. And it'll be right. If you're feeling slow and sluggish that day, maybe it's early season and your, your training volume is really high. You're probably going to hit inside of 48. You have to go up and down that mid-mark chart. You have to go up and down your grip. You have to go up and down the pole stiffness. And listen, I sympathize with those of you out there coaching that do not have a big line of poles. I, I mean, I am blessed, you know? Um, here at Apex, we've worked hard. We have over 200 poles, um, and it really allows us a luxury. You know, we always have a pole to go down, a pole to go up. We always have plenty of grip to go up and down, you know, so we can adjust that accordingly to the drill, the progression, the time of year. Some of you don't have a huge pole line. Listen, when you're going through early season stuff, you might have to do a lot of straight pole. You're not going to be able to do a lot of bent pole drills. Do the best that you can, but use what you have. Get creative. Think about it, you know, but don't get married to numbers. Sometimes we obsess. I, I, I've, I've heard people say, man, I need that 48 mid or I need to grip this on this pole. You don't need to do any of that. Listen, if, if your best bench press was 225 and you're tired and you can't do 225, are you just going to like do three sets of fail? Or are you going to put maybe 195 on the bench and do the best you can that day? Again, this is philosophy, guys. This is philosophy. This will be the backbone of how you make decisions as a coach or an athlete. You, you have to start thinking like this. I mean, I, you know, again, 
We're very fortunate. We have plenty of polls. But I know athletes and coaches who do have access to polls that for some reason they'll go to a meet and they'll only bring polls that they, they can get on if everything is right. That's hard. That's, that's not, a, not a good way to warm up. You're going to warm up on poles that maybe you're not ready for, get stood up a few times, have some sketchy jumps, and now you're supposed to compete? And listen, that's fine. Maybe every once in a while it works out for you. But that's just that just doesn't make sense. You could start with a little lower grip. You could start with a smaller pole. Get in the pit. Get in the pit. Then start to go up. Then start to go up. Right? Again, it go, goes to philosophy goes to philosophy, you know, and, and you have to choose that philosophy. You have to decide wh- which end you're on. And listen, you can make some philosophical choices depending on the situation, you know, let's say you were someone who, you know, you make it to Olympic trials, but you're one of the last guys in there and you want to try again on a bigger pole. I get it. I get it. You know, maybe that makes sense in that time, you know, but we have to make philosophical choices. You know, don't just play the adjustment game. Don't just get married to numbers. You know, you have to adjust for your athletes. And if you are the athlete, you have to adjust to how you feel that day. Get the best that you can out of yourself that day. If you could take 10, 15 jumps and maybe you have to grip down and do it. Awesome. That's way better than running through half the practice. And then the other half of practice is getting stood up or landing real shallow and possibly hurting yourself. Which side do you want to be on? I, I know it's a smart, smart thing. Smart thing is lower that grip, maybe go on a smaller, smaller pole and work on something that day. That is way better than just trying to, you know, I mean, listen, we, in the pole, we try, we're like, oh, you know, you gotta be smart and you know, we're nice people. We're friendly, nice, but yet we're all like, oh, you, got, you just got to sack up. Try to get that pole up there. Not, not smart, not smart. You know, um, you know, and, and again, I've been there. I've been there. I think, I think a lot of people have been there. You know, we, we think that if we just get on this pole or if we just grip this high or, you know, if we could just get another seven left approach in that day or eight left approach in that day, like that'll make us better. But we end up wasting a lot of time. Guys, you run through, you get stood up. That's a waste of time. That is not productive. Will run-throughs happen? Absolutely. It's not like at Apex we never have a run-through. It doesn't happen often, but people will run through. And usually, then we grip down and move up, and they will take it off again. You know? I, um... You know, talking about getting married to numbers... We get married to a lot of things in the pole vault. I mean, I can't tell you how many like really great athletes get so, uh, so sensitive about how they grip the pole, how they carry the pole, whether or not they have enough tape on the pole, whether they got sticky spray on their hands, whether they, you know, like all this stuff. And these are good athletes, by the way, that I'm talking about. I'm not talking about beginners who are really weak and really slow and these, no, these are higher end people, you know, very good athletes. And if you're like, hey, let's do this drill where uh, you don't plant the pole. We're going to do an overhead carry or let's do a close grip. Let's do a wide grip. Let's do this. Let's do that. 
They can't adapt. Guys, you have to, you have to, again, philosophy wise, you want to make athletes that are adaptable. I've heard coaches and athletes alike complain about other pole vaulters who are too sensitive if the weather's not right or if the runway is a little off and this and that. And yet, we sometimes fall into that trap of allowing athletes to just do it their way. And now, what, you know, they can't adjust. They can't adjust. And if you try to give them a little different drill to work on a certain part of their jump, they can't do it because they're so hung up on like, well, this is how I do it. That's just one way to do it. I mean, at Apex, again, adaptability is huge. I want my athletes to be able to adapt. Listen, you might go to a meet and want to do a seven left approach and it's not looking good. You got to back it down. Go to a six, go to a five, do what you can that day. How about this? How about you go to a meet and seven's feeling so good, you want to try an eight. You going to stop? You're just going to hold it at a seven? No, let's go. Let's back it up. You know, you, you, you have to, you have to look at the situation, be able to adapt. That's why at Apex too, you know, we'll do all different approaches at practice. We'll do anything from a zero, literally pulls in the back of the box and you just step into it all the way back to whatever the full approach is, right? And everything in between a one left, a two left, a three left, a four left, a five left. It just depends on the day and what progression I'm taking an athlete through. But we'll also do all kinds of carries. We'll do an overhead carry. We'll, we'll do a low carry. We'll do a high carry. You know, we'll do just takeoff. We'll do just takeoff swing. We'll do takeoff swing turn horizontally deep into the pit. We'll do full jumps. We'll do full jumps on a straight pole, full jumps on a bent pole. I, there's so many ways to vary the drills. And the more you can vary the drills, the more adaptable you make your athletes. Instead of creating a pole vaulter that's super sensitive and box a lot, you're going to end up making a very strong, adaptable athlete that can make adjustments, that can go with the flow. You know? So, again, philosophy, guys. Philosophy. Um, I guess the last thing I want to mention, because I, I made a post about it on uh, on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, um, was about, you know, focusing on winning again in the, in this podcast that basically I've been just going over coaching philosophy. I think winning is a good philosophy. Winning is a good philosophy. I mean, a lot of times in the pole vault, we we're just so focused on PRs, you know, and I mentioned in the video, I was like, look, you don't see Tom Brady getting upset if he didn't throw four touchdowns, but won the Super Bowl. He's pumped. He's thrilled. He knows, and especially like a guy like him, he's, he's been, man, he's been quarterback forever now. You know, he's had a long career. He knows you're not going to throw four touchdowns every single game, but you got to do what it takes to win. So let's say, you, I don't know, you're a 17 foot male vaulter and you go to a meet and you jump 16 and you win. Awesome. You know, maybe you did it from a short approach. Try, try to see what positives were that day, you know, but if you ended up winning, you did what it took that day. Awesome. Maybe it was bad weather. Maybe it was raining. And you still managed a 16-foot jump and you won. Awesome. Awesome. And then also try to figure out what those negatives were and work on that. But if you focus on winning, guess what? It will eventually lead to a PR. But it's not just about winning at meets. 
You know, that's important. You got to win at practice. And um, it, it was funny. I, I just I was talking to Andrew Flores on the phone, and he was talking about at one point in college, um, he was practicing with one of my other vaulters. It was a female, Britt Delcase. And, I mean, her PR would end up being 12-4. His is 14-3. And he's like, he felt like she was a good training partner for him. And you might say to yourself, what, what the heck does that mean? I mean, you got a male vaulter and a female vaulter, and their PRs are so far apart. They're about two foot apart. How are they training partners? Because here's the thing. When you're trying to win all the time, you're not just looking at the end result, right? Like what bar you cleared that day. If you're at practice, you're competing because, like, if someone's more technical than you, they're doing better at a drill, you got to get better at that drill. If during the workouts, they're busting your ass, they're pushing harder, motivates you to push harder because you want to beat them, right? You got to learn to be competitive. And, and pole vault, right? This game we play, it is competitive. We hand out medals at pole vault club championships. We hand out championship belts, right? There's winners, there's losers, right? And there's nothing wrong with losing, guys, as long as you learn from it. You can learn a lot from a loss. But, like, you have to be trying to win. And maybe, okay, let's say you're so far ahead of the field. Like, you're at a meet, and your PR is better by two and a half feet. Cool. Maybe you, like, handicap yourself. You're like, okay, cool, I'm going to pick that guy or that girl, and I got to beat him or her by three feet today. Because I know... PRs wise, I'm two and a half better. I'm gonna try to beat them by three feet today. You could play that game, right? You could, you could also, if you're one of the last seated kids, pick someone in the group that's a little bit better than you, try to beat them. That's something you can do. That's a win for you that day. So there's a lot of different ways you can win, you know? Maybe even, again, if you're that top seed kid, a win for you that day is if you become more efficient. You know, maybe you got on that pole you never got on. You dealt with the conditions better. Despite the fact that there was no competition. Right? But you have, you have to start thinking about winning. You have to put that in your head. You know? And, and I mean, like, the honest truth. Look, I'm friends with a lot of people. I'm very close with a lot of people who are pole vault coaches and pole vault athletes, and they're my friends. But, like, man, when we're at a meet, I want to win, and so do they. And I can tell they're disappointed when they lose, you know? I'm disappointed when I lose. It's it's facts. The more you realize it and accept it and know that that's a part of it, the better off you are, you know? Um, So... I mean, to wrap up, I guess, this whole idea uh, of this, this podcast, you know, think about your coaching philosophy. What is going to be the coaching philosophy that is the backbone of your system and what you do? You know, um, obviously, if you guys have any questions or comments, email us at apexvaulting at gmail.com. Make sure you check out our website, apexvaulting.com. For anybody in the local area, we are starting our fall sessions uh, September 9th, and that's a Monday, and it will go till November 26th, which I believe is a Tuesday. Um, make sure to sign up. I'm super pumped. Summer was great. 
I think fall is going to be even better. And uh, I, I know definitely there's kids at the club that are they're doing awesome. We're going to be really ramped up and ready for indoors. Uh, I'm super excited because it's kind of like a younger generation that's that's coming up, and I'm excited to see what they do. Um, make sure also, uh, if you don't know, now you know, um, the real Apex Vaulting uh, is on Instagram. That's our Instagram handle. Uh, we're just Apex Vaulting on Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat. Um, yeah, check us out, follow us, subscribe to this podcast. If you could leave a review, that would be awesome. That really helps out. Um, yeah, and thanks for listening.